0: Let me tell you about the first time I ever preached to a large group of people. So I've shared in the past that Joe and I met when we traveled in a, in a music ministry based out of Austin, Texas in the 1980s. The group was called Eternity. We traveled all over the United States doing concerts and sharing the gospel. And our primary ministry context was local churches, although we also did concerts at colleges and conventions and camps, other venues. By and large, the purpose of the concert was to set up sharing the gospel with the audience and and giving an invitation. Now, prior to traveling with Eternity, I traveled with another group ministry out of California called Continental Singers, uh, and the ministry model was the same. So, therefore, I was very used to hearing the gospel presented at the end of concerts, and probably between the ages of 19 and 23 years old, I heard countless gospel presentations shared in church. And I witnessed many people committing their life to Christ in response. I often got to be a part of praying with people who came down during altar, altar, altar calls, that's easy to say. Essentially, I was there at the, at the moment of harvest. So, in addition to me being the bass player with the group, I, I also functioned as the road manager. Basically, I made sure that the group got from place to place. I handled the travel schedule and the money. It was administrative, if you can imagine that. Uh, so I was a road manager and I was in charge, but I, I didn't do the front work at the concerts. And what I mean by that is I didn't speak much other than occasionally sharing my testimony from time to time. Now one day I was asking if I would like to do the little mini sermon at the end of the concert and do the gospel presentation. And I, and I said, yeah. I mean, I'd heard others do this thousands of times, so perhaps I can do this. Now I was very nervous uh, I didn't have a plan, I didn't know exactly what I was going to say, I didn't have any cool stories in mind or any clever, clever illustrations, I didn't know how to preach, but I had learned and memorized scriptures through the Navigator's Topical Memory System specifically about proclaiming Christ, so my first stab at preaching went something like this, okay, we're, we're glad you're with us tonight, um, let me tell you what the Bible says about knowing Jesus, um, Romans 3.23 states, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Um, Romans 6.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrated his own love toward us and why we we're yet sinners. Christ died for us. Um, Ephesians 2, 8, nine states, for his grace you are saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It is a free gift of God so that no one can boast. But basically I just stood up there and, and shared scripture from memory with, with not much of a plan. I probably mixed in a little bit of my story along the way. I didn't talk very long, and after I ran out of scriptures this year, I probably ended with John 3.16. Uh, I asked the congregation to pray, and I asked if anyone would like to pray the prayer of salvation. And five people raised their hand. I, I led them in prayer, and that was the end of my first sermon ever in a church. So. But the truth of the matter is, I was young, I was inexperienced, I was not very well prepared, I was not a gifted speaker, Certainly, not a gifted evangelist, and what happened that night was only part of the witness to those who had made decisions for christ and What was most true about that first sermon was that God was at work in those people 's lives long before I ever spoke that night, and the many additional nights I would do it after that. I came along at the right place and the right time where they made their public proclamation of faith and This was an important moment, Don't get me wrong, but no important, more important than anything else that happened before. Or after I swept in with my stumbling gospel presentation. So, so we're in our new sermon series on the three st- touchstones at ECC. And the vision for this series was birthed out of our vitality process. From the pastors working with the ministry planning team. And last week, as Stacy said, and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about presence. And when we say presence, we don't just mean God being present with us. He is present. But we're referencing here, what we're referencing here is the importance of our presence in the community. And the 97% of the waking hours that you're away from ECC, impacting the world. So that's right, today folks, we're talking about the E word, evangelism. So ushers lock the doors, okay? (laughs) If you're like me, just the mention of the E word brings up feelings of inadequacy. Feelings of failure to measure up. You know, the truth is, for most of my life, I have felt very inadequate. I have a strong inner critic as it is, and I'm very cognizant of my failures in this area. I mean, I'm an introvert. I'm no Billy Graham. I'm certainly no Bill Bright. Bill Bright, who's the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, or CREW, They used to say that Bill Bright, when he flew on a plane, liked to sit in the middle seat. That way, he'd have two opportunities to share with Christ with the person on either side. Yeah, that ain't me. Okay, I'm a far cry from that. So, I have a lot of stories of failure. Let me tell you one of them. Okay? It actually, crazy as it is, it actually involves Bill Bright. So the group I referenced was the house band, so to speak, at a large youth rally for the Wesleyan Church in 1986. And this was in Champaign, Illinois. There were several thousand high schoolers and adults attending. So this would be analogous to our chick except it was the 80s and the kids all dressed and had hair like they were out of Stranger Things. Okay? We, we played for several evenings that week, and, and there was quite a bit of production with this. So the, the event organizers even brought in some string players from the University of Illinois uh, for some of the music. Bill Bright was one of the speakers the last evening. and Of course, if you know anything about Bill Bright, you can guess that he spoke on the importance of us sharing our faith, and he seemed to tell countless stories of people coming to faith through things that he was involved with. Now, over the course of a couple evenings that week, I felt particularly convicted and and drawn toward one of the string players who was on stage. Now, I don't know if it was because she appeared to be uncomfortable with all that was happening at this Christian youth rally or what, but I felt the spirit compelling me to talk to her. Now, the failure was I never did anything about it. Now, later, my guitar player friend from the group, Scott, shared with me that he also felt the same urge to talk to the same lady and he would actually worked up the courage to go approach her that last night but before he could get there bill bright was already there praying with her <laughs> <laughs> now failure on my part you know not completely because you know god's work was done but you know it also really confirmed in in me that the spirit was clearly at work in me it was at work in my friend scott and it was at work in bill bright it's just that bill bright was more quick to obey you know, In our current mission vision statement that's being developed by the pastors and our ministry planning team, we've added witness as one of the community practice, practices we the people of ECC should be engaging in and pursuing in our lives. And in that document we define witness as our ability to share our faith in word and deed. So this summer during some of my time off, I, I engaged pretty deeply in a in uh, Lon Allison's book, Possible, Discovering the Joy of a Prayer, Care, Share Life. Lon Allison is both the former executive director of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College and the former director of evangelism for the Evangelical Covenant Church. He's currently a pastor in Wheaton, Illinois. And if you've been a part of ECC for a while, his work is behind much of the evangelism initiatives that you've heard here, including Bringing My World to Christ, which we now call Bless, it's our program of praying for those that we know who do not know Christ and ultimately with the hopes of sharing the gospel with them. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about blessed this morning. But as I work through Lon's book, I had in mind our vitality process uh, and the work that we're doing with the ministry planning team, including this, specifically this sermon series on touch tones. And I engaged pretty deeply in this because as I consider what it's going to take for us to move from a stable church... To a healthy missional church, we're gonna to have to address our engagement in evangelism. You know, intentional evangelism was the area where we scored the lowest in our poll survey that was taken in 2018. Now, what was behind this score were questions that we asked you that drove the total score for this missional marker. I'm just gonna reference three of these questions this morning. So, on a four point scale, we as a congregation graded ourselves as follows On the question of, I am praying for my unsaved friends. To meet Christ, our score was 3.46. And that's, that's not bad. That's actually almost health, a healthy missional score. However, on the question of my church is helping me share the gospel clearly and boldly, our score was 3.01. And on the question of I am building relationships with people who need to know the Lord, our score was 2.88. So, so I think we can agree that we, we, we need to see better here. We want to see better results, but we also need to take a look at some things regarding what witness is and what a witness life is. So Lon Allison describes witness as follows: Witness occurs when a Christ follower enables a curious person to understand a bit more, to edge a bit closer to God in His grace. And Lon likes to use the term witness life. Witness life. He defines witness life as cooperating with God and others to lovingly bring people one step at a time closer to Christ, and our good news this morning is as follows, that the witness life is easier than you think, the witness life is easier than you think, so the primary text I want to engage in this morning comes from John 4, 35-38, and we're very familiar with John 4, this is where Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman at the well, it's a rich text, many sermons have been preached about it, many sermons have been preached here at ECC about this text. It's loaded. I mean, it's loaded with examples of crossing lines of culture and ethnicity and power. It's full of illustrations of grace and truth, truth and grace, and forgiveness and repentance. It talks about what true worship is. I mean, the Samaritan woman herself is a fabulously bold evangelist, as she immediately tells the town about Jesus, which leads many Samaritans to come to faith. But I want to zero in on a very narrow slice of this story. So in the story, during the exchange between Jesus and the woman, the disciples aren't there. They're gone getting food. But when they come back, they find Jesus talking to the woman. The woman then leaves to proclaim what happened to those in the town. And Jesus ultimately says to the disciples in verse 35, Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life. So that the sower and weeper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work. And you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So Jesus is using agricultural images of sowing and harvesting or reaping to describe his mission. One sows, another reaps. So the context of, as why they are even in Samaria is that they are avoiding the Pharisees who are on the prowl due to the number of people following Jesus. Now, similar to my experiences of seeing people come to Christ at these concerts, the disciples have been witness to a harvest or the fruit of of Jesus gaining and baptizing many disciples. And here Christ says, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others did this work and and you were reaping the benefits of their labor. You are reaping where others have sown. So it's not just the disciples' work alone, but they're completing what others have begun. And I think the text tells us that evangelism is not a one-person show. It's a team effort. So Lon Allison and and others who have studied these things have concluded that on average it takes between seven to ten unique witnesses in a person's life on their journey to faith in Christ. But before any human witnesses arrive, God is there as the first witness. And we are the subsequent witnesses who are cooperating with God in this work. Now, remember, I a, Lon defines the witness life as cooperating with God and others to lovingly bring people one step at a time closer to Christ. So Lon Allison lists six principles for cooperating with God. Now, first, as, as I just stated, God is the first witnesses. witness. Romans 1.20, as we looked at last week, says, For since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what is made so that people are without excuse. And we, and we must have faith that God is at work in people's lives in many ways before we ever arrive on the scene, so to speak. Now, The second principle is that God is proactive in people's lives. He's actively at work and He's jealous for people. First Timothy 2, 3 and 4 states that God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The third principle is that God has attracting powers. Jesus says in John 6:44 that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent sent me draws them and then I will raise them up on the last day. The fourth principle is that God sets divine appointments that guess what include us. So in the text from 1 Corinthians 3 that was read earlier, it says that the Lord has assigned to each their own task. And the fifth principle is that God promises to be with us on those appointments. You know, in the Great Commission, where God instructs us to go into the world and make disciples, he promises to be with us to the very end of the age. And lastly, and most importantly, God is responsible for the results. We are just to be found faithful along the way. Again, from John 6, Jesus states, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will not drive away. I think it's immensely helpful to remember that God does the saving, okay? I think it takes a lot of pressure off us to think that it all hinges on something that we say or do. Any each situation, God has gone before us, and He is the one who orchestrates people to seek Him. And He is the one who's responsible for the results. We just get to be a part of it. So the Apostle Paul says something very similar to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 3. Now you heard that scripture read earlier. So the Corinthian church, as we know, had a myriad of issues. Paul, in both of his letters to the church, Paul is hard-hitting on a number of key moral discipleship issues. Such as human sexuality, idolatry, stewardship, the Lord's Supper, loving one another, and divisions in the church. And it's divisions in the church that's the primary context for what Paul is addressing here in chapter 3. He states to the Corinthians in verse 3, You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, Apollos, are you not mere human beings? You see, people in this church were hitching their wagons, so to speak, to one apostle or another. And that leads Paul t- to write, you know, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted seeds. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. But only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. And they will be re- rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. So similar to Jesus in John 4. Paul uses agricultural images of planting and watering. And watering. But just as no farmer in history is singularly responsible for a plant growing, neither is one disciple responsible for someone coming to Christ. Paul says God makes it grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have a purpose. They have a job to do, and they must be found faithful to do that job. But they're partnering with God who makes things grow. And I really like that Paul uses the image of watering in his description, because to me, that connotes a longer process. None of us, when we water a plant, stand over it and expect to see it grow before our eyes. Plants don't grow instantaneously, and neither do disciples. But watering is necessary, and there must be faithful disciples watering throughout the process. So it takes many witnesses, living out the witness life, to make something grow. And that's true in my life. I'm guessing that's true in your life as well. Each of us has a story, and, and our stories are very, a very important part of our sharing. Just as the Samaritan woman had a very impactful story, your story is your story. And you know who the ultimate expert is on the details of your story? You are. N- no one can take that away from you. And I, I've shared parts of my story uh, and the, before, but I, w- I want to do it again uh, because I'm going to go somewhere specific with this, and, and you'll see where I'm going in just a bit. So here are some of the names of people that are important in my story. And I've told my story before in different ways, but I want to do it a little differently. I want to focus on these characters that were were the influences in my journey to faith. I said earlier that those who study these things say it takes between seven to ten unique witnesses along the path for someone to come to Christ. Well, I've identified more than ten people here, and I've left people out, for sure. But... I want to start with my parents. I mean, they, my parents were faithful church attenders. I grew up in church. and I grew up around church people. Uh, my parents are part of the equation for even putting me in that environment to start with. And as a child, I didn't always want to be at church. And I'm sure there are Sunday school teachers and youth leaders who would have never pegged me as the kid that would be up here behind a pulpit someday. <laughs> but it shows you what God can do. Even at a young age, though, as a child, I would lay in bed before going to sleep at night Uh, and I would read my Bible. Now, in part, because there was a Bible on the stand next to my bed for me to read in my room. And the older I get, the more I appreciate the foundational role my parents had in my story. Now, my brother Kent is seven years older than me. I have vague memories of spiritual conversations when I was a child with my older brother, talking about God, often very late at night, lying in bed before we went to sleep. And I watched him grow up and how he got involved in campus ministries uh, when he was in college. And, you know, the influence of an older sibling can be a powerful influence in our stories. Okay, number three, got to keep anonymous, all right? I'm going to call her the church lady, okay? Years later, when I would see Dana Carvey do his church lady skit on Saturday Night Live, (laughs) now I tell you what, I feel like he looked into my past and recreated this person, all right? I'm serious, that look right there. Just like Carvey's church lady, my church lady was not a completely positive influence, okay? As a kid in the church, I tried to avoid her. She she was a friend of my mom's, and I didn't even like the scowl on her face when she came over, the way she looked at me when she came over to the house. I felt she was judgmental and prudish, and frankly, she was no fun at all. So why is she on the list? You know, in his book, Lon Allison talks about the mysterious value of even misguided witnesses. God can use a poor or inappropriate witness to work in our lives. He can use mistakes. He can use failures. He can use botched up opportunities, things that appear to fall flat on their face. Now, in my case, I didn't like Church Lady, but but as a child, you know what I remember about Church Lady? I knew she followed Jesus. I knew she had passion, she had conviction. Yes, she may have been judgmental, but you know, as far as I could tell, her walk pretty much matched her talk. There was a whole lot more I could say, but you know what? Church lady makes the list. <coughs> Another person from my youth in the church where I grew up was Bill. Okay, Bill was a volunteer youth leader who, who always showed up. He was consistent. He was friendly. And one day in particular, I remember how, how he passionately emotionally shared the gospel uh, and what it meant uh, to him and his life. And I remember pleading with tears that we kids in the youth group commit our lives to Christ. Bill worked hard to develop a relationship with me and with others. But you know what, I never really gave it to him. In fact, I ended up going to another youth group when I got to high school. And Bill didn't get to see a lot of fruit from what he poured into me. And to make it worse, Bill passed away not long after I graduated, so me getting the chance to connect with him and thank him is going to have to wait until eternity. Bill's a classic example of someone who planted seeds and watered along the way but was never there for the harvest. Now, my best friend Kevin planted the most seeds along with his father Joe, who was a pastor from another church, and I've I shared this part of my story before, but God was using Kevin and Gina and Kim and Sabrina to draw me toward himself. And even though I... I ran with an athletic crowd, and these guys didn't. Over time, I began to spend more time with them and less time over here. My interest in spiritual things grew exponentially as I went from someone who merely had an intellectual awareness of the gospel to someone who actually acted out in faith to the gospel. Now, of all the people on the list, the one who I spent the least amount of time with was a guy named Joel. He was a camp leader that was there at the time of harvest when I committed my life to Christ. And it was after this that my life changed radically. Fruit started to be born in my life in in, in different ways. And the last person on the list came into my life post-conversion. That was the director of the group, uh, Joe. And he's on my list because I still consider him one of the most significant discipling influences in my story. And our post-conversion influences are, are important as well. So here's the thing. No one person on that list had a greater role than the other. You might think, oh, you know, Joel, he was the evangelist. You know, he finally shared the gospel in the right way to make a difference. You know, Joel didn't do anything that Bill wasn't trying to do earlier. All of the roles are important. Even the church lady, God bless her. Actually, there's one name not on this list that had the greatest influence, and that's God himself who orchestrated the whole thing. Everyone else just got to join in because that's the way it works. One other observation. On that entire list, there are only maybe two or three people who are professional vocational ministers on that list. Everyone else is just a faithful lay minister of the gospel. So that's my story, kind of told in a different way. Uh, Again, Lon Allison reminds us that God uses many Christians, many witnesses to reach every person. And the overwhelming majority of Christians God uses are normal, loving believers, not professionals. We all have different roles to play in the witness life. We can be sowers. We may be waterers. We may get to be there at the time of harvest. But lastly, remember, God can even use the mistakes. He can use the misguided witnesses because, most importantly, God is orchestrating it all. All right, so here's what I'd like to do. We're going to do a little exercise this morning. I want you to think of your story. Your journey to faith in Jesus Christ. And I want you to take a few minutes as you prayerfully remember and write down the names of those in your life who have sowed, those who have watered, and those who perhaps were there at harvest in your life. Now, there are sermon notepads in front of you in the pews. Uh, There's also pens. If you need pen and paper, it's right in front of you. I'm going to ask Megan to come forward. Uh, She's going to play music, and we're going to have a time of reflection after that. I'm going to pray. God, we thank you. For the names on this list, God, for those who are faithful, for those who loved you and loved us enough to help nudge us one step closer in relationship with you, God, even those who were perhaps a bit misguided in their efforts, Lord, God, we thank you for bringing them all to our memory, God, for those who are still alive, we pray for your blessing upon them, that you would continue to guide them and that you would use them, Mostly, God, we thank you that you were the first witness, and through it all, you were the one drawing us into a relationship with you, and we give you praise, Lord. Amen. I have a couple more uh, action plans for us this morning. Now, we gave everyone an opportunity to participate in our evangelism program last spring called Bless. Uh, We're going to do that. Again, this spring, BLESS stands for, it's an acronym, it stands for begin with prayer, listen with care, eat together, serve in love, and share your story. Now, if you didn't participate in this or it's new to you and you want to know more about it, uh, I would like you to stop at the welcome counter outside outside the sanctuary in in the lobby. Uh, Pastor Jordan will be there. We have some BLESS cards available with you and he can share with you more about what BLESS is. So for those of you in the room who did participate, this is your reminder, your friendly reminder. Have you looked at your blessed list lately? If not, get it out. There's no condemnation. Just begin with prayer. You know, as, as we just we did, that, did that exercise, as you remember the many witnesses who have played a part of your faith journey, pray that you can be one of the many who has an influence in, in the folks who are listed here and their lives. Pray for opportunities. Pray even for interruptions, if God so wills. You remember this thing that Stacey put in my hand? You can use that. Uh, remember, you can pick these up as well at the, at the welcome counter. So my goal today is for you to be encouraged that everything you do in the lives of these dear souls is evangelism. And as I said, the witness life is easier than you think. Now, secondly, a question. Are you equipped to share these stories? the story when the time comes that you get to share it you now back to my opening story about fumbling through my first ever sermon you know I was I was lacking a lot of things but one thing I did know was enough scripture that I could share the gospel using God's word first Peter 315 states that we should always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope for the hope you have you know so in the Bible app this week there are some tools for you to consider uh, Carol Smith wrote an article in our e-letter last summer featuring the Big Story as a tool. And it's even an app you can have on your phone. Uh, after the service, Pastor Stacy and Carol will be available also in the lobby to tell you more about the Big Story app and show it to you, maybe how to download it if you need help. I've, we've linked the Big Story in the Bible app again. I've also included the verses from the Navigator's topical memory system that I began using years ago. I put that in a Bible app before, before, long before I... Ever had those committed to memory, I wrote those verses on the inside cover of my Bible so I'd have them ready. And lastly, I have another tool that I've been experimenting with that I picked up from another church. Uh, I've used it lately. The last couple times I've shared the gospel with a couple people who are on my blessed list. I don't have time to demonstrate it now, but if you'd like to know more about it, I'd love to talk. I kind of consider it still in process, but I, I love talking about these things. I'd love to have a dialogue. Remember that pulse question about us giving you tools. We want you to be equipped. If we're going to take seriously our commitment to increasing the scores that I referenced earlier on that poll survey, each of us needs to make sure that we are prepared to share the story when the time comes. Now lastly, if you're here this morning and you're not sure that you have a story of how you came to a relationship with Jesus, if you haven't received that free gift of the sal- of salvation and you'd like to, I encourage you to come talk to me after the service, or you can talk to any person down front. Or if you're interested, you can check the box at the, on the back of the communication card at the top to indicating you'd like to know more about what it means to follow Christ, and we'll follow up with you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your mission to us, your love for us, that you came, became one of us, that you lived a sinless life, that you died on the cross for our sins, that you rose victorious over death, and in doing so, you recon- made a way for us to be reconciled to the Father in your kingdom, Lord. We thank you for that, Lord. I pray for anyone who does not have that assurance of salvation, Lord, that they would be bold to take a step this morning, that you would be at work in that. And God, now as we continue to worship you uh, through, through our tithes and offerings, through giving back to you what is really already yours, Lord, I pray that it would be an act of worship. I pray that you would bless this offering for uh, your kingdom purposes that you have called this church to. We pray all this in your name. Amen.